I'll do my very best to get this job that I so crave. We're all really excited to be here. Uh, welcome to Fan Zone Debate. Uh, we got a title match for you. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but Bucky's barking. He's super pumped about this one. Um, we got a big one for you. It's Kurt Kolkowski, champion, going up against Cody Newberry, number two. This is the second time this has happened. Uh, they played at Mayhem last year, one Fan Zone match of the year. Kirk has been the champion for... Uh, Many moons now, it feels like. And uh, is he going to get that other defense? Another defense against Cody? Uh, will he stand as like the ultimate debater? Or will Cody come up and, uh, you know, get the win? He's uh, only ever lost to Kirk. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Brian, you've been here with me through all of it. Uh, and now you're here again. How are you feeling, man? Are you excited? Uh, I am. I mean, when you put together a, another title picture, it's uh, in debate. It's kind of these two are the ones you kind of assume we're going to meet again at the end of it. And you know, while it was a fun season, it, it, it ended up just how we kind of thought it would be Cody versus Kirk again for this championship. Um, it'll be a fun one. I mean, they're both guys that tend to get a little heated and loud in debate. Always respectable, but definitely heated and loud. So it's going to be interesting. And Mark, uh, you came in last match to Cody's last match against Coho, which, by the way, fantastic match. If you haven't seen it, obviously go watch that, but uh, then come back and see this. But Mark, you came in for that, um, and now you're here for the title match. How are you doing, my friend, and uh, are you excited? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, should be pretty good. Uh, the last match uh, I hear Cody was good. Uh, Kirk is a staple here, and, you know, it should should be another good one. I hope so. So uh, let's talk to the players. We're going to start by talking to the challenger, uh, Cody Newberry. Cody, uh, you've only uh, been waiting for this for months. Uh, you know, you had the week of being upset, and then I remember you telling me, I'm going to get back to Kirk. You're here. Uh, you had to play Jacoby to get here. You played Coho, uh, who are both people who have challenged for belts, held the belt here. And uh, so I think you definitely earned your spot here today to play again. Um, how are you feeling about going into it for round two? Uh, I don't know. Um, I had I had plans last time I played Kirk, and they I started really strong. I fell apart near the end. I uh, lost the last question. I mean, if I get beat before that, I would be a little disappointed. Um, because I think like, then that means I dropped a step along the way. Uh, I've never been more prepped last time I played them. I was prepped, but I don't think I've been, I've been this prepped for a match. So that could either hurt me or it could help me. We'll find out, but, uh, Kirk's the best that's ever done it. So I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'll say that here so I can look back on this and watch it over and over when I say I'm going to be fine if I lose. But everybody that will talk to me for the next like six months will realize that I'm really not okay if I lose to Kirk. So, um, but I will look back and say this. So, Kirk, just let's put on a show, I guess. Healthy, healthy, healthy boy. Uh, so, we'll bring in uh, the champion, Kirk. Kirk, uh, You've been the champion for a hot minute, my friend. Uh, it's been an awesome ride. I loved seeing it. Um, and now you're going up against Cody, Cody for a second time. Last time it happened, after the match was over, you had said, like, that was something that was really special to you to be able to beat Cody, who um, has been just a staple across debate 
over the course of the online trivia league's time. Uh, you were able to ha- make it happen again. Does that make you more relaxed going into this one, or are you just as prepped, just as hungry to get the win? Yeah, I mean, it's rough because, you know, it was match of the year for a reason. Um, it was a great match, but it's kind of like, you know, Rocky and Apollo at the end of Rocky where, you know, there ain't going to be no rematch. I don't want one. Like, I think either of us are excited to go through that, pro- the physicality and the, you know, the mental end of that process again. Um, but no, I feel good. Like, I mean, it's, I obviously I want to win. I want to keep the streak going as long as I can. Um, but, you know, if I, and if I win, that happens. And if I lose, you know, Cody's champion, Cody's very de- uh, deserving champion, I'll be happy to see him take you know in that position too. So I mean, obviously, I, I want to maintain that championship, but there's worse people I can lose to. So um, I'm not going to say it's a win-win because I'd much rather win, but losing will be a little easier to take. That's fair. All right, guys, we're going to get into it. Here's how this is going to work. Uh, we gave the players questions based on categories that they drafted uh from both the worlds of fandom and melee uh so we gave them the questions they then gave us answers to the questions they are going to debate those tonight before our very souls uh brian mark and i are going to listen to those debates after uh they have a one minute opening a five minute free form and a one minute closing mark brian and i are going to write on our handy dandy board who we thought won the point um best two out of three votes wins you a point for each question and the first person, because this is a title match, to get to four points will be the winner. So, uh, gentlemen, do you have any questions as we get into the match? Yes, sir. Then let's do this. I still love that video. Uh, We're going to shake things up a little bit. I am going to have the question on screen for you guys the whole time um, because it makes my editing life a little easier. Uh, But I'm going to say the question, uh, you guys. Your question is in the category of directors. And it is the question of what is the worst performance in a great John Cassavetes movie? Uh, So... Kirk, you are going to kick this one off uh, because you drafted this category. You get one minute to open your argument, and I'm going to come in when uh, you have 10 seconds left to give you a 10-second countdown. So one minute when you start talking. Okay. Uh, the movie I selected, a uh, great John Cassavetes movie called Shadows. It's one of his, it's, I believe, his directorial debut. Uh, still considered one of the greatest uh, independent movies ever made. Um, and I picked the actor from that. His name is Rupert Cross, uh, plays the character, I believe, named Rupert. Um, and the reason I picked him is because Shadows is a heavily improv- uh, improvised movie, uh, a lot of improv- improvisation in it. And uh, Rupert Cross sticks out like a sore thumb in this film. Um, he's got kind of like a deer in the headlights thing going on. Uh, he has one facial expression. He has one uh, voice inflection. Uh, he doesn't. He just feels out of his element. He, he doesn't have a lot of range, uh, whether he's supposed to be angry, whether he's supposed to be funny, whether he's supposed to be sad. Whatever's going on, he's he talks the same. He looks the same. Um, he just really feels out of his element. Six all sort of doesn't feel like he belongs there with the rest of this cast, uh, what they're trying to do, what Cassavetti is going to do. Uh, in a, you know, John Cassavetti's movies usually, you know, very much about the truth and performances, and there's not a lot, a lot of that coming from Rupert Cross. Okay. All right, I'll bring in Cody for his opening argument. You have one minute when you start talking. So great John Cassavetes movie. I think the one you got to pick is Gloria. I think Gloria is a 
an, an outstanding movie about crime and the inner workings between this woman that doesn't have a kid that gets a kid thrust upon her and has to work through all the things. The problem with this movie would be one of the all-time greats if it wasn't for the damn kid standing next to her. He takes every serious, every heartfelt, every emotion out there and throws it away. Gina Rollins is like working with like cardboard next to her. There's a there's scenes where she he has to have emotion or sadness or feel anything, and he's just completely just blank staring or yelling random things or having awkward facial expressions that draws you completely out of this movie. He just and it's there's great kid actors all over the place. He just is the wrong casting decision for this. There's shootouts where he just blank stares. He makes this movie could have been an all-time great to just good. All right. Uh, five minutes of free form. When one of you starts talking, uh, when there is a one-minute warning, I will throw that up on screen. And then again, come on for the 10 seconds. And if I feel like anyone is talking too long, I will throw that up on screen as well. So, gentlemen, five minutes when one of you starts talking. I want to give a little background to your character before we start talking about the performance. Um, this is a kid who has just witnessed his entire, not witnessed, but is aware, was in the building when his entire family was murdered. They were, you know, killed violently by the mobsters. So when you're talking about these blank stares, these weird eyes, these awkward responses, um, this is a kid who has experienced trauma, who is traumatized, um, who is scared, who is afraid, uh, who is angry, and is still processing all those things. So Everything you described about his performance is true to what is happening to this character. I don't think it's a bad performance. I think he's acting the way a kid in that position very well may behave. So that's funny that you said that because that's a good uh, crutch that you can lean on. But at the end of the day, he separates from his father, separates from his father. Father gives him to Gina, has no reaction, no emotion, nothing towards him. Doesn't cry out, doesn't do anything, just blank stares and just walks along. Then he's on the phone trying to talk to her, and this dramatic score kicks in, and this she hears everything happening. He doesn't, but hears them getting blown away in the house, and it's taken away by this dumb kid that's just yelling random things. I'm not saying that he couldn't have done this performance well, because there are great kid actors. This kid was the wrong kid to deliver all those emotions, because he delivers none of them. Your character is in a student film best, so if it's great, I'm sorry, disagree. But Rupert is the only one with any inflection, any any fun, any changes the mood from all these characters. Everybody else is this melodramatic just slog that have no emotions on their face. And he's the one life of the party when he shows up every time he's on screen. He's the one thing that breaks from the monotony of your movie. Because he doesn't understand what everybody else is trying to do. Like I said, he sticks out like a sore thumb. That's his character. Because he's like, there's like serious things going on. He comes, hey, everybody, what's going on? He's got those big eyes, that big smile. Regardless of the situation, that's the one thing. Yeah, he's fun because that's the one thing he does. That's the one thing he does, like the big happy-go-lucky guy. Even in serious situations, he's doing, he's behaving differently. And I want to go back to what you said about this kid. I think any other kid could have been in this movie, but I think – the choice that was made for how this kid was going to act and the greatest kid actor in the world would have done the same things because this is, yeah, he could have been bawling his eyes out. He could, that could have been choice. He could have just been freaking out the whole time, but the choice of this kid is internalizing. He is, you know, even his physical performance, he's tight. He's walking stiff. He has all this anxiety inside of him that he doesn't know what to do with. So that was a choice that was made. I think the kid plays it perfectly. 
I think Cassavetes doesn't know how to direct a kid, and I think that's proof in this movie. Uh, Justin Henry and Cameron vs. Kramer a year prior, that kid shows more emotion than this kid ever, and he's dealing with just as much heartbreak in that movie. Uh, Tatum O'Neill and Paper Moon, Linda Blair, Henry Thomas and E.T., all these young kid actors around the exact same time frame, same age, just in better acting performances in their movies with high stakes than what this kid is able to prove. And okay, so the one character you have a problem with because he doesn't fit the character dynamic of he's a tone-deaf guy in your movie, sure, that's fine. He, But he fits in those roles. He's the guy, even, even people in the movie tell him to calm down in certain scenes because he's trying to break everybody out of this funk. That's just the character of who he's playing. I don't think that's an issue, but you're thinking he's a bad thing because he doesn't fall into the same melodramatic that every other character in the movie does. There's a good thing to have a little bit of difference in your movie, and he provides that. It's It's not just his character it's what's happening in the scene he he doesn't just say he, he's not like the character that's supposed to come in and be like hey everybody i'm gonna lighten the mood it's when the mood's not supposed to be lightning because the scene and the story is going a different direction like what scene breaks it up the scene where he's trying to debate with the uh the manager about the uh the the, the show about you know the, the yeah. way his guys going to cast in the show at the end when he's talking to him about how his like his friend like he cost him his job and he caused all his problems like he's like he's ruined his career but he's like still got a big smile on his face still got those big eyes like there's scenes in there where they're supposed to be serious and more you know a, a, a darker tone but he can't handle it when you're the thing is the one and that scene you're talking about his friend is the one that's high rate in the scene and he's the one that's trying to liven the situation that's what the character should do in that role he's that's playing that part should, that's perfectly. how it seems because he's acting wrong but what that's what he's supposed to do. that would work perfectly i would be taken away if he disagrees with it he's trying to make light of the thing my still thing is jenna rollins has to wear a lead backpack this entire movie with this child that's walking around that has no ability to act and just casting a role, and John Cassavetes, it's his fault for not casting in this movie to make a kid actor be able to do the stuff that is supposed to, that is supposed to have these emotions. There's, I've listed actors that have done that, and he's not but one. Not, not all kids in situations, it's a reality situation. A lot of kids are going to tighten up like that. Yeah, exactly what he does. We're going to go to Cody to close first. Cody, you have one minute to close when you start talking. Rupert is like the life of the party in shadows. Like he goes through and he he changes the mood because everybody else is doing the exact same performance in every scene. He's the life of the party. He does stick out, but I think that's the correct uh, movement for that character. I think if he played the other way, everybody would sleep at the 30-minute mark. He doesn't do anything out of character, or he has a high-pitched voice. I guess that's a problem. But overall, he was the one thing that kept me dragging to the movie. My thing is Jenna Rollins is this crime epic movie with great score and great pacing and great uh, intrigue. And John Adams, this little child, walks around and doesn't deliver a performance that shows that his parents just got blown away. That he's mad at Jenna Rollins, that doesn't accept him. Even the scenes where he's like, you know what? I don't want to be with you. I hate you. He doesn't do it. He just, I hate you. I don't like you. This is, this is stupid. I'm leaving. He doesn't do anything with his facial reaction, nothing with his movement. And there are kid actors in that time frame that he could have been casted and done a perfect role. Time. All right. Move over to Kirk, who has one minute to close when he starts talking.
Cody wants to give Rupert credit for change, lightening the mood in these scenes uh, when that's not what the character is supposed to be doing. The, char- the character is not supposed to be changing the scene. The character is supposed to be doing one thing, but the actor is doing something else with it and messing these scenes up where everybody else is on track. Um, Cody wants to list a bunch of other kid actors who were good at that time. Great. Yeah, there are other good kid actors. I agree with you. Uh, but this was also a good performance. Uh, Cody wants one thing when a, uh, when a, a kid dies. He wants drama. He wants tears. He wants crying. You're not always going to get that. A kid goes through trauma. They're traumatized. They have anxiety. Um, this is a great performance. He's muted. Uh, he lashes out sometimes. He says awkward things. Like I said, he tightens up. He gives a great physical performance of a child suffering from trauma and anxiety. Uh, Cody mentioned himself, the eyes, the blank stare. But there's like, there's like you see the anger and the sadness, everything boiling up behind it. Uh, this is a great performance. Like I said, Cassavetti's uh, movies are about getting truth out of the performance. I think it's a very truthful performance coming from this kid, a kid who's been through unspeakable, imaginable, horrible, and acting not the way maybe we assume he would, but in reality, psychologically, the way a child would. Cotton. Okay. Bring in the judges. Ooh, and my uh, computer is going to die. Good thing I'm right by my charger. Okay. Because for debate, I sit comfortably. I don't sit at that fucking table over there. Awesome. Yeah. All right, judges, ready? Okay. Um, I went with Cody. I thought that um, Kirk's closing was strong. Um, I just don't think he did enough during the main fight to really convince me why, other than just saying, like, well, some kids would react that way. But, like, why in the performance is, like, what I was really looking for. Cody gave me so many examples of specific scenes in that movie about why the kid is bad and why the uh, the Rupert character isn't actually that bad. He's actually bringing other stuff to it. I I, I thought it was pretty one-sided on, on Cody on this one. So that's where I went. Brian, where are you going? Um, I didn't find it as one-sided, but I also did vote for Cody. Um, okay. I feel like uh, he did a real good job of, of kind of convincing us that you know, Rupert was was playing the role that was you know supposed to be given. Like how the other characters even say, you know, telling him you know calm down, things like that. So when he comes in all lively, he's not the same you know level as them. That's kind of what it's supposed to be. Which Kirk, you know, tried to tell us it's not supposed to be that, but he also told us the movies largely improv. So it's like you know what are they and are they supposed to be doing? Um, whereas Cody's, uh, he did explain how uh, with with John how uh, this was he was playing a role, but the role could have been so much better with a different actor because he was not playing the role. Yeah. Uh, Mark, your vote doesn't count. Where would you go and why? Um, actually, with Kirk. Um, I think to me, to me, I think he kind of sold why his character like didn't, didn't like he worked like the least in his movie. And I did like, I think Cody did a good job at least talk, talking at least about the, uh, bringing up good examples of kid actors, but I think Kirk, I mean, I, I thought Kirk had at least a good, uh, good comeback with that, at least, uh, like, that's kind of how kids should act, and I feel like Kirk just kind of kept coming up with an example of why Rupert Cross just did not fit in that movie at all. Alright, well, that's why we have three judges, so uh, we're going to move on to the uh, next uh, question, uh, which was drafted uh, in the category of uh, Disney by Cody. The question is, 
Which 1990-to-present Disney side character deserves their own theatrical movie? Uh, so, Cody, you drafted this. That means you get to go first. Uh, which Disney side character deserves their own theatrical movie? You are muted. I love you. That's why I don't yell at the judges. That's why I mute myself. Okay. Um, um, so I expected puzzling looks when I picked my character, but I actually picked Maximus from Tangled. And everybody's like, I've heard people say the person, that, the animal that doesn't speak. And yes, I think, I think if you watch his movie, he has a lot of comedic choices and a solo movie with a character does not feature other, but it would not mean that other characters are not involved to carry some of the dialogue. Um, but I think it's, I have an interesting pitch, which I'll explain a little bit more in the middle of uh, a story that will make Maximus's story uh, a lot more impressive. That's all I'll say. Okay. Ending about uh, 30 seconds, 35 seconds early, or 25 seconds early. I can do math. Uh, so we're going to bring in Kirk. Uh, Kirk, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Okay, I went with Phil from Hercules. Um, I think Phil is a character with a lot of a full backstory. Um, he mentions in the in the movie how he trained uh, Jason, Jason the Argonauts, and he sailed with him, trained him as Odysseus. I uh, love those characters. Um, so we're giving Phil a prequel. We're going to bring him in. We're going to go back. We're going to see not only how he trained these guys, but how he was a leader and a guide for all them. Uh, the character that Phil is based on is uh, Philocles, who is um, a, an actual uh, you know mythological Greek character. Uh, he was part. Of, he's mentioned in the Iliad. He was part of the trojan war uh, he was actually one of the people who was inside the trojan horse uh so there's a lot of different options ways we can go a lot of different cool things we can do disneyfy these uh mythological stories just like they did in hercules and um, do a lot of cool stuff with that also we bring back um beloved voice actor beloved actor danny devito who everybody likes everybody wants to see back um so we give him his lead a lead and um you know let him do everything he can that character expand on that character as much as he can and um yeah i think it's gonna be a really fun uh, new take and new spin on the Hercules story. Time. Okay. Uh, so Maximus versus uh, Phil. Five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. So real quick, I think Maximus is what I'm pitching is basically a midnight run type movie where he's returning a criminal, criminal that I am going to be voiced by uh, uh, Jason Sudeikis, and uh, basically the director of Monsters You and uh, Onward, which already does a road trip kind of a feature, um, with uh, Dan Scallion. I think that's the way to do this. You have that funny sidekicks. He has a funny little moments and uh, different situations that would pose that movie to be successful. A character does not have to fully talk to be a successful animated movie. There are movies in Pixar that have done that. Uh, your movie is a problem. And I'll tell you why. If you've never heard his song, his song is about a bunch of people that failed and miserable and he doesn't want to do it. He was down on his luck. So we're going to watch a, bun a movie, an hour and a half movie of him failing with all these people or jump around from time to time with all these different heroes in such a quick time jump. It, your movie just wouldn't make a lot of sense. I don't think, I think Phil's a terrible choice because Phil proves he's a failure on all of these characters. And now you're going to give us a movie about a bunch of people failing. Okay. So your movie, you're pitching Jason Sudeikis' character's movie and Maximus is the comic relief sidekick no. that he rides. It's Jason Sudeikis no. and his horse. 
That's going to be a great story. No. Because you said yourself, he has comedic moments. He's a comedic character. He's a comedic, he, he doesn't speak. You, you, you're going to have a buddy comedy where only one character talks. That's ridiculous. As far as Phil goes, we're not going to see constant failure. We're going to get up to, you know, what, what was that moment? We're, you know, we may retcon a little bit, and that's fine. But what was that one moment where Phil finally realized he didn't want to do this anymore? And that's it's going to be that backstory of why that happens. It's not going to be constant failures, and maybe it wasn't all failures. Maybe we find out, hey, fail, you know, Phil, you know, it was successful, but it wasn't successful enough for him. And we're going to see, look back on his life and see, hey, Phil, you know what? You did an okay job. You were a good guy. You were good at this. You weren't the failure that you believe you are. So multiple things. One, who says Maximus couldn't talk? You can add that. There's not. Oh, you're adding you're adding ninety year old Danny DeVito as a young Danny DeVito. The, the original your voice actor. So listen, who was your original voice yes, actor? Yes, but he's no, no, but he's ancient. So, so at the end of the day, you're pitching a movie, uh, and if you listen to Hercules, I don't know if you watched the movie. He sings about why he gave up and why he quit doing what he did, and he goes through all the characters that he helped, and it was the ankle and all that stuff. You're just going to see a bunch of things. So you want to watch Troy? in Danny DeVito-like world of shooting sandals of him walking around with a bunch of failing people. I think Maximus and Jason Stakes' character of a criminal, him having to hunt down him and bring him back, is the exact story you want. A straight face. Even in Midnight Run, Robert De Niro doesn't say a whole lot because he's the one that just has to pull him along the entire way. So my thing... So my thing is, I think overall that the buddy cop, not even the buddy cop, it's more like he's bringing the criminal back, I think would play better in the story with Maximus. Is there a story to tell? He plays perfectly with Finn the entire time. That could have been an entire movie by itself. I'm just giving him the sake to the to do it. So you're, you're pitching the Emperor's New Groove, which already happened, but it's better because both characters no. talk and deliver. It's, 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 it's the same thing. You have the, the human-animal dynamic. So you're basically... No one changes what? You're, you're completely... No one he, does he talk? Does, he, does, does, does Maximus talk? Sure. For your sake, I'll let him talk. Okay, so you're just completely changing the character so that we're just making up any character we want for our movie. Um, the point of my movie you're is... You're putting him Phil, in the Trojan horse? thought he failed because he didn't get the, the, the constellation in the sky. And what Phil's going to learn throughout my movie is that you don't have to be like the big superhero. It's going to be, you know, it's, it, you're going to... The, the little things you do and the things you accomplish, the ways you help people, that's what that's going to be Phil's story. It's a very Disney story, and you know it. Where and again, oh. like I said, and you're and you're bad mouthing me for bringing in Danny DeVito. Everybody loves Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito is a beloved actor. People are going to be so excited to hear Danny DeVito lead a Disney movie. So I don't know why uh, how that's. Hold thing. on, I don't. I don't want the judges to hear everything. He says that I can't retcon and make him have a voice, but you're going to retcon and change Hercules the movie because he is going to. Hold on, character. hold on, shut up. He realizes he can't have his, he doesn't need his place in the stars. But once you watch Hercules right after the, your prequel, he wants his name back in the stars. So he forgets everything. You're going to show us when he gets amnesia. Listen, at the end of the day, a, a midnight run with Maximus, Jason Sudeikis' character, on an adventure story, that is so Disney, if anything. At the end of the day, Wally was an successful, a successful Pixar movie, and the robot doesn't talk. So, like, that's something that you can do in this modern age. You, it doesn't need to doesn't need to have all those. Comic. He wasn't a side comic relief character. He was a main character, and the movie is built. But he's a robot that doesn't say anything. He just rolls around. And you're, I shouldn't say the problem with Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito's age is he's old. His voice is going to sound old. Time. <laughs> he's old. His voice is going to sound old. That's one of my new favorite lines. Okay, uh, Kirk, one minute when you start talking to close.
question is what character deserves their own uh, their own movie. I think Phil definitely is one. Um, you know, the story is going to be the story about him going through all these things, these struggles with these uh, the, these mythological creatures. A lot of their, there's, those stories are about failure too and how they overcame it. So that's what this is going to be. Um, we'll work out the, the the script later, but it's about the story. Um, or it's about the character right now. Um, he's pitching, he's completely, he's just taking a horror, it could be any character, it's just, it's Maximus. He's taking Maximus, giving him a, a voice, I guess, um, but it also sounds like it might just be Jason Sudeikis riding a horse around. So he's pitching Jacob's, uh, Jason Sudeikis' movie, which might be fun, but that's not a Maximus movie. That's not what we're here for. Um, he's pitching a movie that about a character who was had a small role, and he said himself, was had a lot of com- uh, comedic choices, but you can't, judge a you can't make a buddy cop movie or buddy whatever movie with one character that doesn't talk and if it's going to be maximus as we know he's not going to talk or he can cheat and just give him a voice and change and make him a completely different character which is going to be really weird because that's not what the movie was all right bring in cody one minute when you start talking i came up with a plan and a script and he didn't but Fuck your movie. That's basically what Kirk just argued for the thing. He wants to create this time back in the time for Phil, and he's going to learn all these lessons that he didn't learn in Hercules, but get them and forget about them when Hercules shows up in this movie. It makes no goddamn sense. He's picking Danny DeVito because Danny DeVito was the original voice actor, but he's going to sound ancient in that younger Phil voice and bounce him around all these mythical creatures or these people that could have been heroes that weren't. My thing is, uh, Maximus is all about the law. I want him to return, basically hunt down Jason Stake's character and having to bring him back. And his non-saying things is funny where it's going to create this thing where maybe Maximus during the story drops his guard and gets to relate to this character of Jason Stakes and have that relationship and build that trust along with each other and stops being such an angry character. My character is at least going to grow from my movie. Your character is going to forget everything in the second movie. All right. Bring in the judges. I'm still thinking, sorry. Um, All right, Mark, you're going first. All right. Uh, yeah, I ended up going with Cody. Um, I, I, I feel like at the end of the day, he kind of, he, he kind of explained why, at least in terms of the question of like who deserves a movie, and I feel like Cody did a very good job. Why Phil doesn't really deserve deserve the movie, and he poked a lot of holes. I think in, in Kirk's possible story, they can go in and at least with like Phil like kind of backtracking as a character in the sequel and he like it uh, and then he kind of sealed it with that wally point of disney already doing a movie with a character that just never talks even though like kirk brought that up a bunch so yeah i think cody kind of won this one pretty handily uh <laughs> it's funny because i said on the first one that uh i thought cody won handedly and nobody agreed with me uh, i don't necessarily agree with that mark but i did vote for cody um i don't think it was as handedly as uh you clearly do but i do think that i thought that kirk made a lot of really good points and a lot of points that made sense to me because on paper i actually agree with cody of like 
the, the the all the points that he made about poking the holes in, in the in the Phil story, I absolutely agree with. Um, but I thought that Kirk did a good pitch um, and had some good takedowns of Maximus. But I thought Cody was able to just very well be like, no, this is what the story is. And just because he doesn't talk, gave examples uh, to say like he, him even saying like, the Flynn Rider and Maximus stuff entangled could have been its own movie by itself. It's the most enjoyable part of the movie. Um, so why couldn't we just have an, an own movie of that? I thought that really worked. So I went with Cody um, and uh, Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone? This was actually a pretty easy one for me, but I went the other way. I went with Kirk. Yeah. Um, I felt like I, I didn't think the attacks on the other person's uh uh, choices uh, did much for me. So it came down to whose pitch like I liked the best appealed to me the most. And Kirk really had me kind of from his opening when he talks about, you know, how you've already set up a story with him, having trained people like Jason, the Argonauts, how it's, you know, this because of this real character, you can talk about the Trojan war and the, and the Trojan horse. And uh, I believe you said that some Disney, Disney, these uh, mythological, you know, stories. And uh, that pitch really got me from the beginning. All right. Uh, well, Cody goes up uh, two to zero. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next question as I take up the judges. What's that? I've been here before. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to the next question, which was drafted by Kirk. Uh, it is in the category. If I uh, can uh, get my freaking computer to move. There we go. It's in the category of sci-fi. The question is, uh, what is the best kaiju scene in a Toho Godzilla movie? These are fun. I'm excited to see what happens here. Uh, <laughs> Kirk, you get to open this one one minute when you start talking. All right, I'm just going to take my time to describe the scene. Um, it takes place in the smoldering ruins of a smoking city. Uh, it starts out, it's Godzilla versus Monster X. Monster X is just this big hosting beast. He's got a tail. He's got like three split heads. He's awesome looking. Uh, it's the two of them going off. Um, just it's it's atomic breath versus uh, Monster X has these like three eye beams that comes out uh, like lightning beams. Uh, then you have a standoff there. Um, then you bring in uh, Gigan. Gigan has a Cyclops uh, laser visor. He has uh, buzz saws for hands. He shoots blades out of his chest. He's awesome looking. Uh, he's fighting Mothra. Cuts off Mothra's one of the rings. One of his wings. They're fighting. They're going back and forth. Mothra shoots back a thing. Decapitates him. Uh, the, 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 the atomic breath of the eye beams come together. Big explosion. Monster X starts to transform. He turns into King Ghidorah, three-headed dragon. They're fighting. Uh, Godzilla uses uh, atomic breath, take off one head. He uses uh, Ghidorah's own uh, laser eyes to cut off his other head. Stomps another one. I'll tell, talk more about it, but awesome fight. Awesome kaiju moment. All right. Uh, we're going to bring in Cody. All right, Cody, you now get one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, mine's less to paint the picture of the scene. Mine's called the atomic breath scene from Shin Godzilla. Basically, yeah, the movie continues on, and he finally opens up his giant mouth, shoots stuff down onto the, the earth, sets a flame to the entire city, and then atomic breaths. He finally learns or gets the ability to do the atomic breath and basically wipes out the whole cityscape. Buildings start flying, shooting apart. He shoots it to the sky and cuts B-52s in half. They cut back for like a three-second thing about these. The humans are like, that's impossible. How's he doing this? And it cuts back where this epic score is just building while he is just melting us, did he? It is one of the coolest scenes of all time. Um, 
the perfect score that they were able to do. I've never seen a Godzilla with the makeup or like the, the effects on him that he just, his mouth like opens as wide as possible to just blow up the city. Best kaiju seen by a mile. All right. Uh, all right. Five minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Um, I would say if we were talking best Godzilla scene, uh, your scene might be in the conversation. Uh, if we're talking most destructive Godzilla scene, definitely in the conversation. But if we're talking best kaiju, and you you want a kaiju moment, yours yours is basically a natural disaster. Watching your scene is like watching like the day after tomorrow or something like that, where it's just you it, it, it's the, the focus is more on the damage being done than it is even on the monster. You know, it could be a uh, it could be like a nuclear bomb or something going off, be the same thing. Like it's not really a kaiju moment. Like you're you're focused on the destruction, you're focused on the people who are watching. It's you, you feel bad for the people it's happening to. You're not having fun kaiju fun with it because it's not really a kaiju moment. Listen, I don't want to call it what you want, kaiju moment or not. Yours literally has a five-minute breakout scene of two, three people transforming back into who they were and to stops the fight. He pitches the scene as like this epic fight battle. It is completely the absolute opposite. It is like when you were a toddler and your t your toys got up and started wrestling each other. It would be sweet when you were three. When you're over 30, it's completely ridiculous. These two monsters go WWF style of lock hands and like do the underhand while one like stuffers. Mothra and this other fight, Gagan, have the most intense fight of any of them, but the damn thing cuts its own head off and then dies. This fight, runtime to runtime, lasts total about two minutes. This epic, supposed to all fight. These two robots die instantly. And you can't see what's going on. Have you ever played a video game and been flashbanged? That's what happens in the scene. There's a bright light like every three seconds. You can't see what the fuck's going on. And all these rubber things are bouncing against Legos. It is awful. And this was made in 2004. Cody, Cody, are you arguing my point for me? Because you're just talking about how awesome and fun this fight is. That's what awesome kaiju moments are. They're big fights. They're punching. They're kicking. There's there's hitting. They don't up. do that. Yeah, they, yes, they do. They at the end when 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 he has they use their atomic breath. They use their eye beams. But also at the end when uh, he's decapitating King Ghidorah, he gets him down and he's stomping him Billy Bat style. So there's all yeah. kinds of like great like there's there's physical close up fights. There's my point is in general, it's a great kaiju moment. You watch it. If, if someone said to me, show me something, I just want to see kaiju. Show me what kaiju is all about. I wouldn't show them your scene because your scene just like, oh, it's like depressing. It's just like this big natural disaster. It's not a kaiju moment. Mine is like well, it has great suit work, great miniatures. It looks great. It looks yeah, it's it's dark and it's cloudy and there's lights because it's like like a basically a city laid to waste. So there's like there's like different lighting. But that doesn't change how great the fights are. You got a guy with okay, but you got a guy shooting, shooting lasers out of his eyes. That's a kaiju fight. That's a kaiju scene. How you pitched it was moth, uh, monster, or whatever uh, X versus Gingain versus Godzilla. They hold each other for one thing. They slice down his chest, and then he cuts off his head and he dies. That's your scene. But I'm explaining when you show somebody a scene for the very first time. How are you going to explain this awesome battle that starts fighting? If you say it's awesome, it's not. But when they start punching each other, and then they cut away for five minutes to hear this awful acted performance about these human characters going through, you had a problem with my scene. Because overall, you said that the, the people looking on and the people staring, we spend more time with these humans that are inside this, this spaceship 
realizing who's the real one and who's not, then we still see the fight. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You have a boring of, fucking ass scene. That's that's part of that's part of kaiju movies too. Kaiju movies always well, have, fuck like, off. Kaiju sucks. Like, yeah. Well, you don't like them. That's fine. You don't like them. You don't have to like them. That's fine. My scene is a perfect kaiju scene. Godzilla destroying shit. That's what you want. It mine has lights. Mine has effects. Mine has so destruction. Dark. So dark. You're just. Did he mute himself? I I can't hear anything. I'm... Kirk, we lost you. My mine has effects too. Mine has great effects with the atomic. You want to talk about the atomic breath? He has that move where he spins around and the atomic breath's already spitting out and flying at him. There's so many great, great, great effects in this. There's there's the eye beams from Get Guy Gan. There's great effects. There's great uh, CGI effects and great practical effects with the suit work. The suits are nice and light. They can charge each other. They can fight, do all those wrestling moves, and still do all like the big sci-fi action. Like mine is a kaiju scene. Yours is a disaster scene. I don't know the difference between, and I guess that's my own ignorance, but kaiju, I, I had to pick a, in, in a kaiju scene is a Godzilla scene, and at the end of the day, his atomic breath works in your scene, it doesn't work in mine because he doesn't fight as many monsters as yours, but there's no real fighting in your scene. There's barely any fighting, there's a bunch of pushing and shoving, the, the whole scene lasts about six minutes and five minutes worth with the humans, and I understand that's a kaiju scene for you. That's a kaiju scene, but at the end of the day, I can't, I can't get behind that. Mine is destruction with the score. If I had to show one person the score or one person the scene, this is the scene. You'd get them in. All right. All right. Cody, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. When you get one scene, you want to show somebody one scene that doesn't have anything to do with any of the movies. My atomic breath scene with that score and with that lighting and with those effects, and he shoots lights from his back and cuts B-52s in half and an entire cityscape. That's what I kind of want to see in a monster movie, which is what Kaiju is. His character slam into buildings, my character torches buildings. They're the same thing. I just don't have as many monsters involved in mine. But the fact is, if you saw this scene, these these. Mothra does more in this scene than Godzilla does. They don't actually fight for that long. There's a human interest that is one of the worst acting performances of all time, and it takes majority of the scenes. It does not create the best scene, because if you showed anybody one scene from Kaiju and this was it, they would be bored to tears when those humans show up and start wondering who the real person is and who isn't the real person. Why this epic, supposed to be this epic four-person battle happening outside, when they cut back, one of them dies in 10 seconds. It's instant. It is so boring. Mine's better. Sorry. All right. I do like ending an argument with mine's better. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny. All right, Kirk, uh, one minute when you start talking. Okay, first of all, I want to point out Cody's greatly exaggerating the time frames of these stories. The humans aren't that long. The fight lasts longer. Um, he's just exaggerating that. Uh, he wants to complain about humans. Humans are very much a part of his scene because it's, it's seen from the human perspective because it is a disaster. It's not like a big kaiju, like, oh, my God, it's monsters. Like, all these people are dying. That's the point of that scene. Technically, is it a kaiju scene? Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. But if someone wants to see, show me kaiju. Show me for 70 years of kaiju movies. What is it all about? Show me something I'm going to, like, really I can sink my teeth into. This, I'm going to show my scene. Because it's got great effects, it got great suit work, it got fun character designs, 
all kind of crazy stuff going on. And that's what you're going to get. If they don't like Kaiju, they might not like it. But if you like Kaiju, you want to get into Kaiju. My scene is the one to watch. My scene is what exemplifies what Kaiju are, what Kaiju movies are. Even the human part, that's a big part of Kaiju movies too, is like the weird human aliens or spies or whatever. That's always going on too. So that's part of it too. Not as much as Cody says, but it is, uh, but mine's, mine's better just because, like I said, his is a disaster film. Mine's a Kaiju scene. All right. We'll bring in the judges. All right. Are the judges ready? Brian, you are kicking us off. Oh, Mark, you're not. I'm good. Okay. Brian, go ahead. Um, having not seen either one of these movies, so I'm going purely by uh, by the presentation we've given here. Um, I thought they both did a, a pretty good job of kind of painting the scene uh, and describing it to us uh, for people like us who have not seen these movies to really see what it is. Uh, and it may have just been the pure enthusiasm, but I did give it to Kirk. Um, I thought that while uh, Cody's scene did did sound good, I, Kirk just described it. There's a lot more to it. You know, it wasn't uh, it was a little bit unique as opposed to just destruction, which you see in a lot of the kaiju movies uh and we described all the different you know creatures coming in and cutting each other's heads off and transforming and stuff like that it just it just sounded like there was a lot more excitement to it mark uh yeah uh, i also went with kirk um uh, i i think i think kind of where, where kirk got me is where i think he did a really good job of just kind of sticking to the point of like it, his scene i think kind of gets you prepared for what you're really in for I think with like kaiju monsters and I, and I, I did really, I, I really like how Cody painted his scene and he was, and he had like, I was kind of close, but I think like as, as Kirk went on, like he, he really sold me on, you know what, this is like, if you're going to strap yourself in for a kaiju or like, like if you want to get somebody into, into kaiju movies, I think this, like I would probably show Kirk scene over Cody's. Uh, all right, my vote doesn't count. Um, I actually uh, agree that I think both did a really good job of painting their picture. They're, they're very different scenes. Like, I love both of what they said. I haven't seen either movie, but when I'm thinking of, like, Godzilla, Kaiju, big monster movie, I love all, like, I was loving what Kirk was pitching me. But then Cody came in and pitched the destruction and the score and the epicness and that's also my shit. So the pitch of the scenes themselves, I thought they both did an excellent job of saying why they're both uh, great kaiju scenes and that I needed to hear why one would be the best uh, between the, those two. And I thought that I, I did also go with Kirk. I thought that at the end of the day, Cody had really good points that kept making me go, ooh, I love that, like updated effects, like the, the special effects and this and that. And then uh, Kirk was able to just come back and be like, mine has that too. And it also has this. So then I did think that the, the human argument, um, it, it didn't hold as much weight with me as I think Cody wanted it to personally. So, and that's, again, it's tough when you haven't seen the movie, but that's uh, just how it is. So uh, Kirk wins that point. Cody's up two to one. Uh, we're going to move into the next question, which was drafted by Mr. Newberry in the category of horror. Uh, the question is, what is the best satirical joke slash moment in a Scream movie? Um, 
Cody, you're going to kick this one off. You got one minute when you start talking. I love the Scream franchise, and I think what I like it because how much it plays to the horror elements and the, all the stuff that I kind of find silly and stuff. But I think one of the best moments in these movies is in film class when they're all sitting there in the second one and they're all talking about sequels um, and talking about how the sequel is far superior to the original film. Um, I love when they go back and forth, especially when they're like, aliens, well, there's no accounting for taste. And it's like, well, what about T2? You got a real hard on for camera. So as a film fan in the moment in the screen where it's supposed to be for these film people that love movies and like can laugh at the tropes that have created for time, for them to be able to sit there and talk about the sequels in their own sequel is one of the like one of my favorite parts. It's got all the most of the original cast. The cast is back together with there. It's just it fits fits perfectly with Scream One. I just think it's a, an absolute uh, funny and enjoyable scene. All right, uh, Kirk, we're gonna move over to you. You have one minute when you start talking. Uh, I went with the uh, opening scene, the opening montage of Scream 4. Uh, I think this is just very humorous and satirical and self-referential on a lot of levels. Uh, the scene opens up, and it's just the, 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 the generic Scream opening where there's two girls, and, you know, they're talking. And it's updated now. You know, you get the, you get an idea of, like, the modern entity they're going to have. Like, it's a Facebook stalker now instead of just on the phone. Um, so, you know, you have that, that kind of, those kind of updates. Uh, then they, you know, have their Scream situation. They get killed. Uh, as they get killed, smash cut to title card for Stab 6, and it's Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell sitting on the couch together watching the movie, uh, which speaks to, like, that idea of the opening cameo and everything. Uh, and then they're, they're going back and forth arguing about how predictable it is, and uh, Kristen Bell stabs and kills Anna Paquin, saying, shut up, you talk too much, just watch the movie, which is kind of like a, like a nudge to the fans, like, just shut up and don't complain and just enjoy it. Uh, and then um, it cuts that, that. They're actually, it's the main characters of the real movie, watch Stab 7. They make comments on the movie. There's time travel in the franchise now, a lot of things like that. So, Fine. All right. Uh, Scream 2, sequel scene, Scream 4 opening, five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. I think the biggest problem with the opening to Scream Four is it just hey, it's just it's a long winded it's it's relying on so many actresses at that point to rely and keep the story interesting. Um, and I get it after the first joke and then the second one and then they tie back into the third. It's I get what they're going for, but it's it, there's there's kind of like a, a joke in co comedy or whatever is you got your bit move on like take it away you don't have to keep going and they just keep it down the same rabbit hole for two months it's like an 11 12 minute scene at that point to the opening of scream because it's bringing it back from years from being gone i think it's overdone and i don't think i don't think overall the acting in it is believable to an extent to make it uh, deliver the comedy level that they're able to deliver throughout the scene I mean, you say it's long-winded, but the thing is, it's it's not one long, continuous thing. It's like one thing, and they're talking about one thing, and then they move on to another thing, and now it's a new joke, it's a new situation. They're commenting on new things, and it moves on to the actual Thanks. movie they continue to. But it's I know not, what they do. Yeah, but but I'm saying, like, you're saying it's long-winded, like, they just keep going on with the same thing. Like, it changes, and it refreshes, that's new people, new things happening. My question if is... You're, the, 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 the question was best satirical joke. In your scene, what's the joke? Uh, satirical joke slash moment. So you can take joke all you want, but moments there, and that's the pick. That's the side of the question okay. I decided to ask. Okay. 
It doesn't um, have to be funny. It doesn't have to be. The satirical would be. I would say your scene is not funny. Like this, it's like Jamie Kennedy doing like bad impressions, and it's not that satirical. They're just naming like the one satirical thing is he says, "Oh, sequels suck, haha," because we're in a sequel. But then they just start mentioning sequels, like mentioning movie names, like really don't go into depth about anybody. There's no satire there. They're not satirizing sequels at all. They're just mentioning sequels. Right. But the thing is, the, yes, they are, the, that's the thing. They're talking about the films being far superior and this one talking about being better while they're inside the sequel. That's the thing. Best moment of the thing. Overall, your scene is, overall, What what's the funny? What's the ha-ha? What's the joke in yours? It's not. It's the one good part is in the middle when Christian Bell stabs her and just, just watched the movie, which was great if they would have left at that point. But they don't leave at that point. They carry on for the longer sequence that comes after it well, the about the same situation. They're actually right, the and then they, and then the right. Joke, the joke at that point is it still counts. Yeah, I'm saying, but the, I'm telling you, the joke at that point is now they're talking about the Sam franchise, but they're also talking about the Scream franchise, and they're making jokes and like, oh, there's time travel in part five. Like that's the joke is like how ridiculous these things get. So, oh, it is, so it is, it's so it's a joke, haha. When yours is not a joke, haha. On mine, that's fine. But my thing is, that's the problem, is it cuts off in that note, and you're into the movie, but at the end of the day, you count that all as one. So if the middle is the strong point and the end isn't isn't successful, even you couldn't describe it or explain it in one minute in your opening because it's so con- it's so over the top and so out there, even for screen. It doesn't work in that scene, and the that's joke why, is overplayed too long why. during the... Hold on, we do this back and forth. I'm going to do my back and forth here. It, it's overplayed. It's done. It's... It's it's beat to death by the time we get it, and we get to see the same thing played out for the third round in twelve minutes. That's a lot to take into it. That's basically a scream goes. How do we open another scream movie? I got an idea, and they don't know how to jump. They don't know how to land it. I think they do. If they come out. You said it's over the top. Yeah, it is over the top. Like you, you said yourself, it's been a while since we've had a scream movie. It's how are we going to do this? Let's just go all in. Let's go crazy. Let's just completely like satirize the entire franchise. And why are we even bothering coming back? Why are we even here? And, and let's just get to, you know address the elephant in the room right off the bat. Mine is at least addressing the movie, talking about the franchise, talking about horror movies. You're just oh Alien, oh T two, oh The Godfather. Like that is your whole scene. It's just I'm just saying the names of movies. And then, J- and then Jamie Kennedy's doing a bad impression. That's your whole scene. That's not the whole scene because that, that's the whole – well, that's the whole breakdown of why the sequels are uh, – they're, they're not as good and they're defending the other sequel. But my viewpoint on it is that's what a, a fantastic moment inside the thing. The first one when Randy explains how to survive a horror movie, that's the fun side of where they're going into it. It's for film fans. Basically, when you break it down, you can say what you want. But my viewpoint is you pick the longer of the openings of all the openings. If you wanted to pick the best satirical moment, maybe the first one would have been a better choice for you. But you convoluted yourself and picked two things where the strongest part is in the middle, the weakest part is at the end, and that carries us into the movie, which is a bad moment at that point. That's the that's just the fact where we're at. I have three good sections that are all satirizing. You don't and satirizing horror in different ways. You have one scene that is not doing any of that at all. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. It's a sequel. Talking about sequels inside a sequel. Time. All right. Kirk. <laughs> I don't know what Cody was about to say, but I took him out. <laughs> Kirk, you get one minute to close when you start talking. I guess your best satirical moment doesn't have to be satirical, is what Cody's saying. My point is, in his scene, they don't break anything down, they don't address it. They just say it, like here. Here are some sequels. We're in a sequel. 
and that's all it goes. They don't go anywhere else with it. There's no conversation about, oh, why is that sequel better? Why is this sequel better? Why is that sequel like the sequel we're in right now? Wink, wink. There's none of that. It just they just start mentioning names and making bad jokes. He says the whole original cast is back. It's just Jamie Kennedy in the scene. I don't know why that counts. Uh, my scene, Cody keeps trying to break, say like it's just some big long-winded thing. It is over the top because they're coming back from a long break and they just want to go crazy with it. Let's really shock people. They do three separate things. The first one is just a basic scream scene where they're like I said, they do the Facebook thing. The second one's where they just go crazy with the celebrities, and the third one is where they really start breaking down the uh, the franchise, talking about it. You know what the what happened to the staff franchise? Why they stopped making it? Why it's not good anymore? And that is why it's all funny. It's satirical. It captures horror. It captures scream. Cody scene does none of that. Okay. All right, we'll bring in Cody for his one-minute closing when he starts talking. The Pittsburgh education system, I swear. Listen, so my thing is, yes, it's mine's a smaller moment. Mine's a, a flash in the pan compared to what he did. But mine works out when they're talking about the sequel and talking about what's weakness and best about a thing. They're talking about the sequel inside the sequel. That's all hysterical I need. That's all I need. It doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't need to be laughing. It's a fun moment inside the thing. That's what makes it the best. Your scene is a, has a problem. The first scene, weak. Second scene, really great. Wish they would have went there, and, and then they go to the end scene. They needed to think about how they were going to introduce it into screen. It was so convoluted. You never even finished where you were going with it because it's got so many things. And your only excuse was, Scream's not been around for a while, so let's go over the top and let's do it. You didn't even mention half the stuff because you got cut off in the opening and you never finished it here. There's time travel. There's this. It doesn't make it a funny or satirical moment when they're talking about all the universe when it doesn't doesn't meet the finish line. Time. All right. Who's excited for Scream 6? Oh, it's going to be in 3D. So get ready for that. <laughs> I don't know why I've been writing really small on this episode. Um, are we good judges? How are we feeling? I guess. Is this question four? Yes. Fuck. This means I go first. I hate that. Um. So, Cody is correct in that the question was a joke slash moment in that there are many satirical moments in the franchise, both that are jokes, both that are just general conversations and moments. So, uh, the Cody scene isn't funny thing. Threw that out. Kirk seemed to as well, but threw that out immediately. Um. I think on paper, I went, I, I was like very sure about how this went. I thought the fight was actually much closer than I would have seen it on paper. Uh, that being said, I went with Cody. Um, and I think that Cody's closing was very strong. I think that Cody's takedown, I thought that. Cody did a good job of explaining his scene and why it was a good satirical moment in the franchise. But I thought that Cody's takedowns of Kirk's was even stronger, personally. Um, I thought that Kirk wasn't able to take down other... He, he just kept saying, like, oh, they're just naming sequels. Which, I mean, 
I just don't I, don't, I don't think that's the case. I thought Cody had a good reason for saying why that was more, why it was satirical and why the minimally, the minimalistic nature of the scene was good compared to the long winded um, moment that Kirk was talking about where it ended on a, on a poor note anyway. So uh, this one was close to me, but I went with Cody. Uh, Brian, where are you going? I do think this was the closest one in the entire match so far. Um, I think that Cody was very smart when he uh, was started making comparison uh, he, to Randy's speech in the first film, because whereas that one kind of was commentary about the film they're in, I thought the sequel discussion was definitely very much as satirical as a commentary about the film that they were in at that point, talking about what makes a good sequel, what doesn't, you know, why most sequels suck, but some are better, things like that. Um, and he did hit hit Kirk back um, a lot with it, you know, how his was just like kind of the scene within the scene with the scenes kind of again and again and again, and got a little old by the time they got to the last of it. So I did vote for Cody. All right. Uh, Mark, your vote doesn't count where you going. Why? Well, I did end up going. (laughs) 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 At least one of you heard the fight. I'm not going to touch that. Uh, But yeah, uh, I, I feel like it, it like I don't know like, I I think Kirk got the slight edge for me just because I think he I, I think he kind of got me at least with talking about how his scene is very open about where Scream was as a franchise and it felt kind of it it felt like his scene was doing a little bit more and like I I think Cody, Cody hit him back pretty hard in, mo- in most places but I think at least where like in talking about where Scream was at that time, I think Kirk did a good job there, which is why I went with him. Uh, it's funny because uh, I, I won't edit this out because I just like hearing myself talk. But um, it's funny when I said uh, that uh, on paper, I felt like this would go one way. Kirk got very upset immediately thinking he knew where I was going. But on paper, I actually liked the Randy scene more. So that was interesting. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to move on to the final question of the prep round. If Kirk is ready, you good? Kirk? Sorry, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, good. All right, just want to make sure you're good. Uh, we're gonna move on to the final question of the prep round. Here's the situation: Cody's up three to one. He uh, Kirk needs to hit this in order to send it to the bonus. If Cody hits this, he will win. So the question was uh, drafted by Kirk in the category of Star Trek. Question's a bit of a complicated long one, so bear with us. The question is, which fandom villain would make the most interesting villain in a Star Trek movie with the OG Enterprise crew? So, Kirk, you are going to get to uh, give us your answer first. You have one minute when you start talking. I think the best villains in Star Trek, especially for the Enterprise crew, going up with Kirk and Spock and the rest of them, uh, they are the villains who are a little more cerebral, uh, who don't necessarily pose a more direct physical threat. Um, so I went with uh, Marco uh, Marco Ramius from The Hunt for Red October uh, because I think he, if you know, obviously both these characters are going to be situated to fit in the very specific Star Trek universe, um, but I think mine can slide in there very well. Um, I think just having him uh, come in as a character that can be, first of all, equal to Kirk uh, and um, kind of, you know, challenge him 
in everything that Kirk is good at, he's just as good. Uh, and also just you know the the the, the caffeine skills, leadership skills, all those the, the strategy, uh, and also you know he can come in and make the crew work together uh, to defeat him. I think those uh, make the best. I think the best villains are the villains who aren't necessarily really a villain, kind of misunderstood, uh, and trying to figure that out through the story. I think that's the best general, and I think that makes the best Star Trek villain as well. Time. All right, uh, we're gonna move over to Cody. You have one minute when you start talking. <sighs> I like when he pitches something that helps me. Um, basically, what I picked is one of those Star Trek villains that is not like seen as the villain overall, but like misunderstood. And I picked Otto Octavius, a man that's going to be corrupted by his invention, but believes what he's doing is for the best of science when the rest of the crew is trying to save the world or the the uh, the galaxy or whatever. And I believe that he could pose a physical threat at times, but also like when those conversations need to happen, could have an intellectual conversation. At the end of the day, I'm pitching something new, something a little different outside of it. He is pitching the wrath of Khan to angry Russian. Um, another guy with an accent sits there and like, and just going to battle for with Picard, like, or with uh, Kirk. I don't want to see that again. That's what he's doing, and I think that's a very bad choice. And all we've seen him command is a submarine, and that didn't end very well. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. All I can, all I can hear in my head is a Russian accent going, "Yeah, he tasks me. <laughs> he tasks me as I drink vodka." Okay, sorry. Uh, five minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Okay, Cody, just because you write bad stories, don't put that on me either. That's not what I'm pitching here. I'm not pitching Hunt for Red October. Totally different story. The guy is not a private enemy of Kirk. He's not. He's out there. Okay. Federation's looking for whatever. That's what it is. I mean, it's not. But again, it's not. It's not about just the story. It's about the character. That's what it is. It's a one-on-one character that can't mouse that battle. That's always great. But you do bring up a good point. The best Star Trek movies, the Star Trek villains, are Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six, where you have that kind of ship-to-ship intrigue and political stuff like that. That's what makes Star Trek great. Otto Octavius. Is it going to be? I mean, first of all, you know, power of the sun in the palm of my hand. They have that technology. They don't need that technology. And if, he, if he does it, they're not going to. And if he's able to make it, they're not going to put him in a little studio apartment in the city. They're going to give him his whole planet to work on. So a lot of the stuff that brings him down isn't going to be a problem in the Star Trek universe. He's safe. I have a question. One, you said that they already have that technology, but then he's going to build that technology. Weird counterpoint. But here's a, you said. Hold on. So my only viewpoint is, I believe that he would that they will they he will be posed he will be posing a threat and they're going to have to interfere and have that talk with him. It doesn't just mean that. It just that's what he was working on in Spider Man. Does not mean what he's working on in this one. Something scientific that is going to jeopardize the war the the galaxy, and they have to interfere with it. I think is a perfect thing. Well. you know what? I'm talking about original crew. They never got to really battle in generations. But here my viewpoint is. I think your movie is just Rathacon 2. Another another guy with a fun accent that's going to sit there and have back and forth with Kirk and make Kirk hate him and the other one. I don't think there's much difference that you're going to pose way different from that movie. My movie is going to be something that's going to for- test them physically, but also test them Mentally, and I think that's Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. I think he's a perfect foil for Kirk and Spock and all the group in the original cast. 
Um, I completely disagree. First of all, I'm not again. I'm not, I am pitching elements of the best Star Trek movies, but this is a character who isn't necessarily a. He's seen as a villain, but maybe he's not. There's political stuff going on. He's in the neutral zone. Whatever. That's the best Star Trek movies. That's the best Star Trek uh, episodes. That's the best kind of stuff. Your guy. First of all, he's not a physical threat. You throw a, fa- a couple phases of the guy with metal arms, he's going down. He's not that much of a physical threat. Second of all, again, science is a completely different world in 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 the, the this this timeline. Like science is treated different. Scientists are scientists are respected. He's if he has an idea, he's going to be treated not as a villain. He's going to be like, okay, how can we help you? What can we do for you? That's what they're going to do. And it's, there's there's going to be very little conflict there. Oh, okay. so wow. That was a wild thing. Well, if a bad scientist shows up, I think the bad scientist gets put in their place. I don't think they get respected and cheered. Secondly, your complaint that a few phasers take out my guy because he's got metal arms, your guy's human. So he is dead faster than mine. That's a wild take. So your guy poses no threat whatsoever. It's just a wild... It's a wild talk of like who could be in that situation. My thing is he is my thing is he has no your character would have a problem with the original crew and be a foil and if he's easily taken care of then I don't see him being a foil for that long. Mine doesn't have a problem with the crew until they interfere with his his doings. And then that would cause the threat, and that would cause the physical thing, which would make an interesting movie for my side. That's why Doc Ock would fit. You're it's my movie even better. You said scientists are respected and cheered and like loved in that thing. Well, when he's bad and doing stuff for bad, they're not going to cheer. And this is he breaks the mold, and they have to put him in his place and set corrections to so that doesn't happen. And Doc Ock would be that perfect foil. I don't think so. I think he's he's it's just going to be too much. I think when you're dealing with Star Trek, you have that crew. The crew is going to be able to do something. You're going to have you're going to be hard time to come up with a storyline that's going to make make that make that happen. My guy, I said at the beginning, he's not a physical threat. That's not the point to him. It's it's intrigue, it's politics, it's all the stuff that's fun. Your guy, okay, maybe they have like a fight blasters versus or phasers versus uh, tentacles in one scene, and it's a great one scene. But that's it. My guy is throughout the movie. He's it's a political story. It's an intrigue story. It's a spy story, whatever. Just like, you know, he you know, bringing him over from for October. He's trying to accomplish something that the cat, the, the crew's not sure of his motives. They're not sure what's going on. They have pressure from different areas, pr- pressure from Starfleet, yeah. pressure maybe from the Klingons because he's in the neutral zone, whatever. They have all that stuff going on. Maybe they got to save him from the Klingons. A lot of stuff going on, but it's all about that. At the same time, it's Kirk and him building that relationship throughout the story. I think well, it sounds like. It sounds like you don't know where to fit your character in perfectly, and I know how to outline my character perfectly inside the universe. You just want to create everything's on the table. All right. Uh, Cody, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. Kirk in that last minute just tried to pitch like an open world that anything's a possibility for his character. I've kind of outlined where I think that my character would be able to go. And I don't think it's just a one scene. If they hear about him and there's communication to try to talk and when the tentacles are not like fully taking over and he's able to have an actual conversation with Kirk, I think that intrigue and that battle could ensue. I think with his character, it doesn't pose a physical threat. 
Khan uh, did pose a threat, had actual power, actual strength that could actually do stuff against him. Even though he even had slugs to do stuff with him. This guy has nothing. He wouldn't be a threat. He would be a one-off. He's just one of these characters that tries to rise up that we put into his place. I don't think it would be a very good threat. It would be the weaker version of Khan, while Doc Ock would fit perfectly. And I think the foil of scientists are respected and cheered for in this thing and when he does something wrong or outside the realm of it and has to be put into his place, but he poses more of a physical threat than any other scientist, that's where the battle happens. All right. Uh, Kirk, you now have one minute when you start talking. Cody keeps talking about Khan. Um, this isn't Khan. I mean, it has something to do with the ship to ship and all that, but I mean, this is not a personal villain. Uh, this is someone very specific who is in a situation where they are out there and Kirk's trying to figure out who they are. They're developing a relationship. Imagine the relationship between uh, uh, Marco and Kirk. I think that'd be very cool. I think what Cody is pitching is generic mad scientist. I think that just a generic mad scientist story. I think my, my character fits very specifically. It's a very specific story where you take this Marco Rubio's uh, character where you're not sure of his motivations. He has good intentions, but nobody knows that, and it's kept secret. I think that very specifically, which fits very, you know, specific to that character's motives, that character's story, I think fits. I think any Cody's just pitching any mad scientist, and that could work. It doesn't have to be Doc Ock, it could be anybody. I think my character very much has to be uh, Marco Rubius from uh, for October uh, because, again, it's just his – uh, his motives and how that will clash with Kirk, how it will clash with the with the cast, with the crew, I think is the best villain. Time. I love being here. Um, okay. Oh yeah, whoops. I'm going to ignore the fact that Kirk insulted the judges at the end of the last one. <laughs> That's fair. I wouldn't. <laughs> of course you would. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Um, Mark. Mark is going first. Yep. Cool. This is just what I want. Um, <laughs> Always. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This one's really close too. I. I was gonna say I. I ended up going with Kirk. Uh, I think where. I I think where like uh, I I end up where. Yeah, I think when we talked, to, whenever we brought up who would be most interesting, I think Kirk did at least the the better job here explaining why, um, like a Connor's character in October, I think is more interesting at least in a like in a Star Trek movie, at least bringing in that element of like it like is is he good, is he bad or not, and like I I think Cody put up a lot of good points at least for Doc Ock at least. Like he'd be, he'd be working with the crew and maybe he turns villain later, but I, I think at least for what those OG Star Wars, Star Wars, sorry, OG Star Trek movies were, I think um, Connery's character I think fits better in those. So I want Kirk. Okay, 
I go next. I went with Mr. Newberry. Um, I think that both were excellent choices when I saw them come across. I think that Cody did a great job of honestly pushing down all of Kirk's stuff. I thought that Kirk had a good pitch of making him the intellectual villain of all of the uh, of all of the people Kirk could have picked. Thought it was a really smart choice um, and one that I could definitely see happening. But at the end of the day, I kind of I don't know if I intentionally did this on purpose, but I almost pulled a Brian and did like the what would I want to see more type of thing. And I thought that Cody's pitch overall of what he was pitching with Doc Ock with the OG crew worked for me. And I thought he was able to take down a lot of Kirk's jabs at him of like the Kirk went on for like not a super long time, but a, a solid little bit about like your guy would be taken down so easily and this and that. And Cody was like, we're the same there. Like they're both humans. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So I went with Cody, uh, Brian, are we going to the bonus or are we, uh, crowning a new champion? I'm trying to figure out Cody's off screen. He doesn't want us to see his face when he, I would assume reacts. that's the case. I'm a little, um, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I, I did think it's interesting that like one person chose a very political character and one person chose a scientific character because those are kind of the two foundations of Star Trek right there. Yeah, right. So, so I thought that was like, great choices to try and debate. Um, for me, it, it I had to picture this character in a Star Trek movie. And, and uh, I know like when Kirk started talking, pitching his whole thing, I, I think that Marco Ramius, while it was an interesting character, but I think that it's in the in the specific story of the Hunt for Red October. That's when you don't know his motivations. That when he has his secrets. But that's that he's that's just because of the situation of that specific movie. I don't know that that character in a Star Trek movie would have the same mysterious motivations and secrets. I think that he would just be a, an ad, you know, a captain of a, of a ship somewhere. Um, so I actually did end up going with Cody, like the scientific angle of it. Wow, that means your winner and new fan zone champion, Cody Newberry. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna take both the players off screen for a second. Wow. Okay. Uh, this is a long time. <laughs> wow. This is nuts. I'm kind of speechless. Um, what a hell of a match! First title match in a while that we haven't gone to the bonus. I think. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I was expecting it. This is nuts. Um, wow. Okay. We're going to talk to Kirk. Kirk. I don't think anyone uh, <laughs> would disagree with me in saying you might be the best person to ever play this game. Uh, and that comes from someone who uh, likes to win a lot and uh, prided himself on thinking he was the best person to play this game. Uh, and that he uh, thinks about coming back and sees you playing, sees Jacoby playing, sees Cody playing, and is scared. Um, you held this belt for an, a ridiculously long time, over a year. Um, the first person to do that. It just absolute insanity, man. I know you can't be happy. Um, but also at the same time, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the match overall. Um, it, it, it's tough, it's tough to, to lose in the, in the, in the, on the big stage, but I think you have proven yourself to be just an incredible debate player. And I, I, I'm very proud of you. I'm, I'm proud to say you're my friend. I'm glad that you're still a 
that, that you did what you did. This is, this is just insane. I'm just, I'm shocked because you played so great. So many of these questions were so close. Let, let, let's hear from you. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a relief um, to, you know, heavy is the head and everything, all that. So it's kind of, I think if I'm, it's a good time to, to get a little time off from, from the schedule. Um, not saying that I didn't do everything I could possibly do to win because I wanted to, but I mean, it does, it, it, you know, being in this position for that long does start to wear on you. So um, I'm not happy to have lost, but I'm, I'm happy for the break. Um, and yeah, Cody, I mean, let's, I mean, talking about me losing makes me sad. Talking about Cody makes me happy. So let's talk about that. Um, I think he, he played fantastic and um, you know, he had, he was ready for this. He was, he was, he was more ready than I was. That's what it came down to. Um, and he, he, he had, he was ready at every turn, um, except for the screen fight. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> other, than, other, other than that, he, um, uh, he played, he played fantastic and he deserves this. And I know how much he wants it, how hard he's worked. So, uh, he definitely earned it. Um, I, I mean, it's again, it's blessed the curse. I'm not going to get to play for a while and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, but I will enjoy the time off and, you know, come back, you know, the funds in the chase. So we'll get back at it. Kirk, I just I, I I can't stress enough you being the champion for as long as you have. I, I looked it up. You won your belt on July 31st, 2021. Wow. It's February of 2023. Um, absolute insanity. Some of the people you played along the way in that first tournament, um, you played Joe Fairley in round one of the tournament, you played Andrew Barr. You played Nick Tuig. You played Rue Moses. You won your belt off Jacoby. Um, then you played Nazario. You went on to play Rue again in a title match. Um, then you played Cody, which was, again, one of the best matches we've ever put on here. And then uh, going on to play Bill at the end of last year and now Cody again. I think just it, it an excellent excellent ride two player fans on player of the year uh winners i just i do think that there's something to be said about somebody who just dominates the game for so long i do not want to bury the lead of, of cody winning and then but I, i'm going to get to talk to cody in a minute yeah. so i do want to say that just it, it, it an absolute i i feel you on wanting the break needing the break mm-hmm. but i do want to say just absolutely incredible ride brian i know You've been around for this a lot. Did you have anything you wanted to add to the to the the Kirk legacy thing here? Well, no, it, it, it's one of those matches that I mean, it, we say things a lot where you know a match is a lot closer than it looks. Um, yeah. This one's really the case. I mean, out of all five questions, uh, fifteen total votes, he got seven votes to uh, Cody's eight. So you cannot get closer than that and still have a winner. He also had the only clean sweep of the match. That's so, true. so it, it's really interesting how that fell out. It's just a matter of you know where the votes fell and and on this particular day it didn't fall Kirk's way, but he's not going anywhere. I mean, like I said, he can't be in this tournament, but he'll be back and he'll be expected to dominate the next time too. So it's going to put a lot of people scared. Yeah. I'm just going to use him to judge a lot of matches. Great. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I do want to say thank you for Brian and Tim, all the work you put into it and all the other judges, Mark, thank you. I know it's our first time together, but I can tell you were taken seriously and I appreciate that. It was, it meant a lot to you. So um, that's kind of judges we need. And um, thank you to everybody who plays. Um, I'm looking forward to judging the tournament, being a part of it that way and watching what Cody does and coming back and taking the phone off. <laughs> 
Awesome. Kirk, uh, thank you so much for everything you've done for FanZone. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in the uh, ring, uh, but also in the judge's chair. So we're going to move over to something. I just want to say something really special here um, because I, I, I can, it's going to be one of those things. Cody Newberry is a multiplex champion. Uh, he's been manager of the year. He's managed teams that have won. He's managed players that have won, but now he has his own belt that he's wearing. Not literally, but if Nico was here, he would have made it for you. Um, you've got your own belt now in multiplex, the only place it really matters, right, Cody? Uh, and you got it. And uh, it was no easy feat. Brian said it eight to seven in the votes, but you got it done before hitting the speed round. I wanted to go to the speed round so bad because the, the, categories that were randomized were just hilarious um so i'll tell you that after the call uh, but cody how you feeling man this is this is crazy this is this is awesome yeah i mean he said it pretty hats off to kirk i'll say that's the first kirk uh kirk when we first started this community i, I insulted him i think and he was mad at me and we didn't talk for a while but he's turned into one of my really good friends in this community um so i I never lost in debate anywhere until this time, and it affected me bad. Um, I let it out a lot when people said stuff, but when I like to myself, like I was, I was, it affected me um, because I he's he's mad about the uh, well, he's frustrated about the uh, what question did he lose that he's mad? I don't know. I the can't screen think now. The screen one, yeah, buddy. Godzilla, I watched two two hours and ten minutes of bullshit on screen, and I thought I had it, and I lost it, so fuck you. Um, but at the end of the day, I think debate is so hard. Um, I think it's absolutely one of the hardest things. I think pulling trivia questions is hard, too, don't get me wrong. But, like, this having to, like, find a clue. He gave me two categories that I've seen maybe a percent of, like, one percent of films, like, so I had to scour to find something and then be good at it, ready to go in this debate. He did say the best. I wanted it. And I I have prepped from um, – if you go to my letterbox, you'll see a break. And it's a giant break of movies. I watch occasionally like two or three. I just have poured into like finding different counterpoints and finding arguments because I wanted this so bad. Um, four to one, again, it won't. it doesn't live up to our first time. But I did everything in my power to not go to that speed round. I did not want it. If I did, I won the three-two because I wanted to be the one in the advantage. But when I won those first two, I was like, I've been here before. I've seen this happen. And then the very next question, I lost. And I was like, it's happening again right in front of me. Um, but it's the person that makes you fight that hard. Like if it, it was somebody else, like I. Even Coho, I dropped points where I shouldn't have dropped because I didn't. I was overlooking Coho to look towards Kirk because I knew who I had next. And some will say he switched his strategy for the first time ever. He didn't give me uh, uh, Romero and Kurosawa, so then I had to bounce off something out. Like he gave me a fresh new realm, so maybe that's the take. I don't know. But overall, I had to go into the realm and pick stuff that I knew he hated and didn't know as well. And it just proved. I think Kirk's a great player. I'm excited to hold this belt. I'm excited for the tournament. I'm excited for who's next. 
I've wa- I've wanted this belt since I announced I was back. I wanted this like a year before I announced I was back, but I was never going to enter with Tim there because I value our friendship too much. So <laughs> one of us can only be here. So Kirk's and Kirk's doing one of these. <laughs> you had it. You you're the fight I wanted to have. Like you know, I haven't driven ten hours to stay at your house yet. Um, but like, thanks, Mark, and thanks, Brian. You know, you got Brian's been here through many fights, and like, uh, I thank you guys for judging. I think you got it's a hard job to turn over those boards. That's why I had to cam off. Because it's nothing against Mark, but when Mark said anything good about Kirk, I wanted to fucking just punch my screen. And it wasn't, you had every right to say so. I just am frustrated, and I'm a competitive asshole, and I wanted to not yell at people. So I appreciate you all for showing up, even if you didn't vote for me, if you voted for me. Whoever wins that tournament, good luck, because I'm not dropping this belt easily. I tell you that much. Yeah, we're going to see at Mayhem uh, in July. Here are some of the, the big names coming out of that. The number one seed of the tournament is Bill Cariola, um, who played Kirk at the end of last year. Some other big names you got in there. You got your Jacobis, you got your Ruse, your Boatmans, your Nazarios, uh, your Brandon Cohens, Caleb Cohos, Joe Fairleys, Brooklyn Vales, uh, your Mike Hanleys. Uh, so any names? about you? Um, if I'm being real, and this is nothing against anybody that you mentioned, one for the sake of multiplex, Boatman needs to lose like first, second or first round. Like, I don't need that to happen because I think the I would kill him. He's playing um, in round one. Beautiful. That would be fun for everybody to judge. Um, I Jacoby and Rue, I think, is the two that I've like circled for a while because they have been those top. I've beaten Jacoby. Rue has argued with me in YouTube comments before, so that man will argue about any goddamn thing. So I will take either one of them because I think it, I think me and Jacoby in a five round match would be very entertaining. He is the one person to truly piss me off in a debate, so that would be fun again. And then Rue, I think, would test me with categories he picked. So yeah, either one would be fun. And then Bill, goddamn, I have no fucking clue. Bill would be a wild ride. He'd get screaming Harry Potter again. So good luck. That's guaranteed. But uh, tournament's going to be fun. Tournament's going to be a blast. I'm excited to be there to watch at least. I might not judge as much because it'll be going towards my belt. But um, I'll definitely be watching and exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really happy. Two of my best best buds in the community playing uh, in this in this match. Fantastic. And uh, Cody, then his first to see what book I get next. What books he gonna send me? Yeah, on screen? <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so we're gonna wrap this thing up. Mark, any final thoughts from you? I know this is a pretty good match. I'd say probably once we hit the third question, this thing was just a dog fight all the way through. It was, it was really fun to watch, especially when things got more heated and there was some backlash from the judges. And the you know, it, it it was a good one to be a part of. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I mean, everybody hates to be the first one to go when, when you're flipping over those boards, but being the last one on the question that's going to decide the winner, I'm just like, somebody's going to hate me. Um, it's going to happen, but yeah. I, I'm used to Cody hating me anyway, so it was a matter of, let's try Kirk this time. Um, <laughs> so why not? Uh, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, this this match is, it really is everything we, we you know kind of hoped it would be. Uh, obviously, I'd love to see, go to the speed round, didn't fall that way, but we're going to see this match again eventually, so it was good. Yeah, that- yeah, that's fair. This was nuts. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, like we've talked about this whole time, we're getting into the tournament. So uh, in two weeks, 
Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, next week. It's going to come up right away next week. Uh, we're going to get the match one of the tournament, which is going to drive us all insane. I'm just going to say it now. Uh, Bill Cariola, the number one seed, is playing the uh, number 16 seed, Mike Hanley. Ooh. Uh, Brian's already in the green room. I've already got their questions and answers. Kirk, I'm adding you tonight. Uh, we'll see you guys with that next week. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching. Thank you to Kirk. Thank you to Cody. Thank you to Brian and Mark. And uh, we will see you guys next week with another match. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.